Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Y'all doing well? That weather outside should make you have a smile on your face. It's nice and uh, springy out there after a little bit of summer. Uh, if I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I am uh, Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure of serving as uh, the senior pastor here as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're here worshiping with us, either here in the building or online. Either way, we're glad that you're with us. If I've not had a chance to meet you, I'd love that opportunity. Uh, after the service is over with, I'll be kind of out in the foyer area and swing by and say howdy to me so that we can get to know each other. And then the other way you can help us out, uh, like Ricky mentioned on the video, if you could fill out a little bit of information on the, uh, the connection card. That allows us to be able to reach out to you as well. You can drop that in the plate when it's passed a little bit later in the service. If you've got a Bible, um, I would encourage you to grab it. If you don't have one, there should be one in a chair near you. And uh, if you would like that Bible, if you need that Bible at the house, feel free to take that with you. That'll be our gift to you. Before I jump into the message this morning, I wanted to give you an update. Uh, last week, I mentioned to y'all uh, during my sermon that we needed $1,400 more to go towards the Czech uh, mission trip. And uh, the amazing thing that happened after the service for me was I turned on my app that shows how much money we had received. Side note, it doesn't have names associated with it, so I didn't know who gave it. But I looked, and lo and behold, the amount that was given that Sunday morning by someone was $1,400, and God supplied that need. And so I'm not surprised by that uh, because God is faithful, but I also wanted to share that report with you uh, because it was so exciting to me. Even before I left the building that day, I knew that we had received that money, and so thank you so much. And I know we've got six of our church members that are going on that trip. Uh, if you want to give towards each one of them individually, you may do that. That's an option as well. But I wanted to let you know that our, our general uh, plea uh, was met last Sunday. So thank you for being responsive to God's leadership in that regard. Also, I wanted to remind you about some things coming up this summer. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of those, but I will say this. Uh, right outside on the table in the entryway, there is a summer calendar. I'd encourage you to grab one or two or three, uh, hand them out, put them on your refrigerator, keep up with them. Or if you want to get it digitally, it's on lhbc.net. Go down to the very bottom and there's a summer calendar. There's actually a general church-wide summer calendar. There's one for children and there's one for youth. And that way you can kind of know what all's going on in the life of our church. And then the last thing I wanted to let you know is that beginning next Sunday, we're going to press pause on the book of Acts for about seven or eight weeks. And we're going to look at the book of Psalms during that time period. And then in July, we'll jump back into our teaching series that walks us through the book of Acts. The really cool thing, when you walk through a book of the Bible, uh, week by week, God kind of knows what he's doing. And I use that word kind of very loosely. God knows exactly what he's doing. And God knew that as we walk through the book of Acts, that we as a church family would be in a place where we're able to share with you the four men that have said yes to step up and serve as deacons alongside of our current deacons. Well, guess what? Today's message brings us to a recording of the first deacons, or at least a prototype of the deacons that we find in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 6 addresses that very topic. 
And so this morning, we're going to celebrate uh, the fact that God's called new deacons uh, to serve here at our church. We're going to look at a text of scripture that talks about that. And then this evening, I'm going to encourage you, challenge you to be back here for a night of worship at 6 o'clock. The service will be about 45 minutes to an hour. There will not be child care because all we'll have is singing and praying over these men and their families. And I encourage you to be here. Whether you're a church member or not, we'd love for you to be back at 6 o'clock tonight. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it and turn to Acts chapter 6. And as you do that, let me just share with you something that probably all of us know, and that is, at least for me, the past two years have probably, for various reasons, been some of the hardest years of my life. Uh, there's things that, has hap- that happened in our family, uh, in my personal life, and, and as a leader of a church body, uh, that, that the last two years have just been, at times, very, very, very difficult. And, and I know that if you're a school teacher, or if you're an administrator, or if you're a business owner, if you're a parent, you've experienced difficulties these last two years as well, as COVID came in, and the things that kind of came out about because of that. And all the stuff that life has brought over, brought over the last two years. I, I'm grateful that, again, God knows what he's doing. And just as we were headed into that process, God was opening the door for us to be able to have elders here at our church. And so a year ago, we brought on three more elders alongside of me. And so we have four elders, two staff, and two lay elders. And they have been a blessing to me as we've been able to kind of share the, the load, if you will, of these last couple of years. But I wanted to kind of run down some things about the last couple of years. And, and I promise you it's not about COVID, but it's rather about the things that have happened over the last two years. As a pastor, I have friends that are in ministry all over the country. Uh, I've I've been to some conferences over the last couple of years, and I've met some pastors that serve in different areas of of our country, and, and every single one of the guys I've talked to have shared with me the things I'm about to share are the things they have experienced over the last two years as well. So what I'm about to share about the difficulty and the problems over the last two years is less about living hope and more about where we are as a society and where we are as a church, uh, the church as a whole. Here, Here are some of the things that I have discovered about the difficulty over the last two years that have happened all over uh, the church world, and that is decline in several areas. Let me share with you some decline that churches have experienced. We've, we've experienced decline of attendance because uh, we went for a while without meeting, then we're back in person, then some are worshiping from home, and then some come back and some don't come back. And churches around our country, most of them have experienced anywhere from uh, 25 to 50% decline in their attendance. There's been a decline across the board in serving, where people kind of got out of the rhythm and routine of serving within their local church body. And then when church kind of comes back, there's less of an initiative for various reasons, health-wise or otherwise, to jump back into serving, which goes alongside of commitment. And it also goes alongside of giving. And of course, here we are hitting uh, not only the last two years, but we're also hitting this thing called inflation, And so giving has taken a bump in many churches, including our church to a degree as well. Alongside of decline in various areas, there's also been a change in the kind of the map of of a local church where people come back from COVID and they walk in the door and they realize, oh, there are different faces here 
And that's a good thing because we have new people that have come in, but also to say there are different faces means there are faces that are missing as well. And for various reasons, some faces are missing in our church and other churches as well. At times, and I've heard this from some of our church members, at times it's because of laziness. And what I mean by that is out of their own mouth, they say, hey, Alan, it's so much easier to stay at home and worship online than to come back in the building. That's not everyone that worships online, but it is for some of them. For others, the case is different because some have changed churches and have gone from our church to another church, or they've gone from another church to our church. And as I sit around the table of pastors here in our county, time and time again, all of us can relate to, oh yeah, they used to come here, now they're at your church, and that kind of thing. It is happening across the board in many different ways. Alongside of all of that, because of all that, there has been, over the last two years, a lack of community. You remember whenever everything shut down, whether it's church or otherwise, everything shut down, everybody kind of huddled in their homes. I know that everyone didn't, but everybody kind of got in their homes in their own routine, and they got out of the habit of being around other people, whether at work or at church or other places, and there was isolation, and there was a lack of community. And so whenever you get back in the church building and things are different, there's kind of this awkwardness of how do I get back into community with those around me? And then the last thing I want to highlight is that in many ways, not only in the church world, but otherwise, people have become more bold in proclaiming their opinions. And because of that, the voices have been louder, and, and, and unintentionally or not, it's ended up causing division in many ways in many of our churches. So what I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying let's be discouraged at all these things I just described. Rather, as I describe these things, let's use that be a, a, a kind of a springboard into the text we'll be looking at this morning. Perhaps when you came in, you picked up a worship guide. On the back of the worship guide, there's a place where you can take some notes. And you can see here that the title of this message is Addressing Problems as a Church Family. The things I listed are some problems that our church family and other church families have experienced as well. And what are we going to do to address those problems? Well, let's look at God's Word in Acts chapter 6 where we see that the early church addressed a problem in their church. How did they address it and what can we learn through the process? So if you've got your sermon notes, it looks a little bit different than normal. At the very top it says notes on the early church. That's not a note as much as a place where you can take notes as we walk through the book of Acts. We'll look at Acts chapter 6. You can take notes there. And then the last three are more along the lines of application points that are going to come out of the text, and we'll get to those in just a few moments. Let's look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And in this passage, we're going to see that a church family can and should address the problems that we just discussed and that with God's hand in it, we will see his blessing come out. Let's look at it together. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. We'll talk in a minute about who those people are. A complaint came because the, Hebrew, uh, the Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, that means the apostles, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. 
But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, uh, Parm, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Later on this morning, we will have a chance to kind of see our, our new deacons. And, and, and I listed last week three of them. There's actually four of them. Uh, the four incoming deacons will be Rick Harp, Jacob Justice, Randy Bowder, and Scott Logan. And as I preach this message this morning, I challenge those four guys to hear the words I'm about to share that discusses their role and responsibility within the life of the church. Uh, Howard, a moment ago, had us get all of these Legos because he reminded us that all of us play a part in the church body. And so deacons, current and new deacons, you're going to hear things that apply to you. Those of you that serve as elders in our church, you're going to hear things that apply to you. But if you're not an elder, if you're not a deacon, don't check out because this whole text applies to us as a church body. Because just as elders serve a role, just as deacons serve a role, all church members serve a role, and therefore we should work together as a church family to prayerfully move forward as God leads us as a church in order that we can address the problems that are before us so that we can then share the gospel with all those that are around us. So that's what I want you to hear this morning. Let, let's look at this together. On, again, on your sermon notes, you can see there's a place for you to take notes. I'm going to share with you a few things about this account that takes place. Let's begin by looking at the setting. The setting of this account or this story is found in verse 1. And verse 1 comes on the heels of the verse right before it. In, in chapter 5, verse 42, if you were here last week, you heard us read this text. Here's what it says in verse 42. It says, every day in the temple and from house to house, they, the apostles, the disciples, did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And so the setting that we see in verse 1 is that the church is increasing rapidly. Why is the church growing the church is growing because the apostles and the disciples are faithfully preaching and teaching Jesus. And when that takes place, the church grows at least spiritually and oftentimes it grows numerically. And in this setting, we see that the church is literally growing numerically there in verse 1 of chapter 6. So the church is rapidly growing, which is a good thing. And yet because of that, we're going to see that they face some difficulties along the way. Look on into verse 1. You're going to see two types of people that they were reaching. Yes, it addresses widows, but if widows are there, then men and children are there of those same two uh, groups of people. And you'll see that the two groups that are listed are Hellenists and Hebrews. That's not saying that there were a bunch of ladies there by the name of Helen. Rather, Hellenists carries with it this idea of Greek. So whenever it says that there are Hellenists there, it's referring to uh, people who were Jewish However, they were Greek-speaking. So just like today, there are Jews that live all over the world, right? Well, back then, there were Jews that lived in different places. Many of them lived in Alexandria, Egypt. Some lived in places in, in actually where Greece is today. And in all of these places, even though they were Jewish by religion and, and by their ethnicity, 
These group, this group of people spoke Greek, all right? So whenever we see the word Hellenist, it means Jews who spoke Greek. Then whenever we see the word Hebrews, it means Jewish people that were Hebrew-speaking, which was their native language, if you will. Also, as we look through this, you can kind of identify it this way. The Hebrews were kind of the locals. The Hebrews were the people that were right there from Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding area. It was the people that the apostles knew well, and they had a rich history together. And then those that were the Hellenists were from other parts of the world who now were in Jerusalem, but they spoke a different language, and they were also impacted by the Greek culture as a whole. And because of the language and because of the Greek culture, they were seen oftentimes as outsiders. So the church is growing, and they're reaching both Jewish people that speak Hebrew as well as Jewish people that speak Greek. Another part of the setting is that the church is meeting needs, right? Or at least they're attempting to meet needs. You could flip back, we're not going to read the verses, but you could flip back to Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. And in those verses, we see that the people saw that there were needs around them. They sold property, they gave the money to the apostles so that the apostles could distribute that money to people who had needs. Well, in this story, in Acts chapter 6, part of who they're meeting needs of are the widows, Why are they meeting the needs of widows? Well, a widow, especially back then, was very vulnerable. She didn't have the ability like she might have today a little bit easier to get out, get a job, make a living. Rather, it was so male-driven at that period of time that if she didn't have income coming from a husband, then she would have little to no income. And so these widows at times would have family members that could help take care of them, but especially these Hellenist widows might not have family right there because they've left the areas that they're normally from. They're in Jerusalem. Their family's not able to help meet their needs, and so the church is stepping up and is seeking to meet the needs of those around them. And then the other part of the setting of the story is that we find here the first account of deacons. Now, the title deacon is not used in Acts chapter 6. We'll talk about that in just a moment. However, at the very least, this is at least a prototype of the deacons that would come very, very soon. And so the the church is growing, they're meeting needs, and we see that deacons come into uh, the equation at this point. In the Greek, the word deacon means basically one who serves. And while I said that the word deacon is not here, there's a form of the word deacon that shows up three times. You may even want to jot these down. In verse 1, we see the word uh, that's the word for deacon in the word distribution. It says that the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, and the word here means the daily serving. That they went about each day to serve the widows who needed serving. And the word here is the same word as deacon, all right? Another place where the word deacon shows up is verse 2. Whenever it says serve, the, the apostles say it's not right that we should give up preaching to serve tables or to wait on tables. And the word serve tables is the word for deacon. And then there's one more place where the word deacon is, and that's in verse 4. In verse 4, when the apostles say, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, the word ministry is the same word that's used for deacon. Now, none of these are the noun for the office of deacon, but we see the word shows up time and time again. So that's the setting. Now let's look at the problem, because a problem shows up in verses 1 and 2. 
says that the Hellenist widows, in verse 1, were being neglected or overlooked in the daily distribution. And then in verse 1, it says that they began to complain. The word complain here carries with it the word grumbling, murmuring. There was an uneasiness, and they began to complain, murmur, and grumble about what's happening. And so what we see here is that the church is united, but now because needs are not being met and because people feel slighted, there is a sense of disunity that begins to creep back into the church in the form of grumbling, complaining, and murmuring. We also see that because of all of this, that the apostles' focus begins to be interrupted. Look at verse 2. The apostle says, hey, it's our responsibility. God has given us the responsibility to preach the word of God, and therefore we should not be distracted by that in order to handle the distribution of the food. Now, let's think for just a moment. Are the apostles saying we are above serving people? Like, that job is beneath us. Like, we can't do this. No, that's not what the apostles are saying. Rather, the apostles are saying, we, there's 12 of us. The apostles are saying there are literally maybe as many as 10,000 in the church family at this point in time. And they're saying, how can the 12 of us on our own meet the needs of the people and serve the food and do a good job of that while also going out and preaching because God has given us the task to do that? Now, remember who the apostles are. They were the eyewitnesses of the ministry of Jesus, right? They were the eyewitnesses of the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And they were the ones that had spent three years with Jesus and being mentored and discipled by Jesus. And so they were uniquely skilled and set up to go and preach the gospel. And therefore, they're saying, look with me in verse 2, it says that they were not able to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It also says... In verse 2, it's not right that we should do that. Now, I want to explain that phrase, it's not right that we should serve the tables. Again, it's not like we're too good to do the job. Rather, that it's not right carries with it the idea of pleasing to God. If we serve tables and neglect preaching the word, then God's not going to be pleased with us because God has given us the task to preach the gospel, and he's also given us the task of meeting needs, and the way God's going to meet those needs is not directly through us, rather God is going to meet the needs through the people that make up this church family. So that's what's going on. The problem is needs are not being met, perhaps, perhaps not because of the racial or ethnic, I should say ethnic and cultural reasons, but the needs are not being met. And the apostles' uh, focus is going to be interrupted unless they address it. And then also there is a sense of disunity that's building within the church body. So what's the solution? Look at verses 3 through 6. We're going to see the solution come about here. It actually kind of starts in verse 2. Notice in verse 2 it says that the apostles called the entire group of disciples together and they said, here's the problem, guys. We've got to do something about it. And so they included the church family to address the issue and ask the church family for help. The apostles didn't try to solve it on their own. They tried to include the church family to be a part of the solution. So then in verse 3, 
we see that they picked seven men, or they challenged the people to help them pick seven men. Now, this word pick seven men is not simply what you might do at the schoolyard. Back in the day, at least, when we played football in the schoolyard, we'd have two captains, and we'd take turns picking teams, and you always didn't want to be the last kid picked. That's not the picking that's going on. The word picking here actually carries with it select carefully, select prayerfully. They didn't just say, mm, uh, throw a dart and try to choose seven men. So we as elders and deacons did not say, hey, we need some more deacons. Let's put a, name of, a list of the men's names on the wall. Let's pick up some darts, throw at them, and the four that get hit by the dart are the four men we're going to choose. Rather, we carefully, prayerfully selected four men, actually more than that to have conversations with, but these four men to serve as deacons. So the, the solution is they included the body and they prayerfully selected the men that God had in store for them. Let's look at the three requirements of these men. You can find these in uh, verse, uh, let's see, verse, what verse are we at? Um, somebody told me the answer. Verse three, yeah, thank you. Verse three. We see the three requirements that are found in verse three. It says, first of all, they need to be men of good repute. They need to be well-respected. They need to have a good reputation. In other words, the way I see it is that they need to be consistent followers of Jesus that even the outsiders and definitely those within the church body acknowledge these men love Jesus and they're following him. The second thing that we see is that they need to be full of the Spirit. They need to be full of the Spirit. Now, what we're not saying is that these men had a special dose of the Holy Spirit because all followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit within them, right? Rather, what it's saying is these men need to be men who are living according to the Spirit's guidance instead of living in the flesh. And then it says they need to be full of wisdom. If you ever try to tackle a problem, if you ever try to tackle disunity, if you ever try to meet needs of others, if you ever try to manage something at a large scale, you need wisdom. And so they acknowledge these men need to love Jesus, they need to have a good, uh, they, they need to be full of the Spirit, and they need to be full of wisdom. I want you to see something about the seven men that were chosen. Look at their names in verse 5. Like you go, I can say Stephen, I can say Philip, and the other names are not as familiar to me. Here's what's going on with all five of these names. They all have Greek origins of names. And so while we don't know the exact makeup of these men, perhaps they just happen to have Greek names, the likelihood is fairly strong that these men were actually also Hellenists meaning that they were going to help meet the needs of the widows who were not being cared for adequately, and they were going to use the Hellenist men to help organize that. So they were able to partner with fellow Hellenists to meet the needs of the Hellenist women. Now, we do know one thing about one of the men. We see that Nicholas was a proselyte, which means he was a Gentile that converted to Judaism and then became a Christian. So, the solution, they included the church family. They selected seven men. These seven men had these qualities that they needed. These seven men probably were Hellenists. We also see that they then appointed them this duty. They put them in charge of it. They gave them responsibility. We see that in verse 3. And then in verse 6, it says that they prayed over them and commissioned them. 
So this morning, at the end of the service, we're going to have the four guys that are coming on board as deacons, and we're going to pray over them at the end of the service, but especially tonight, we're going to have a chance to pray over them, and everyone that's here in the building tonight will have an opportunity to do so if they choose to pray over each of these four men. Because it's our job as a church family to commission them, pray for them, and, and encourage them in the work of the ministry. So that's the, that's the solution. What happens because of the solution? Let's look at the results. We find the results beginning in, in verse 5, and we walk through verse 7 to see the answers. Look at the beginning of verse 5. This is an amazing verse. It says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. Let's stop and think for just a moment. Part of the problem the church had was the potential for disunity to come about. Because the people were grumbling and murmuring and there was an issue. And yet, whenever they stepped up to solve the problem and they shared the solution, they encouraged the church family to be a part of the solution, it literally says everyone there was pleased with the result, with the solution. Meaning, everyone liked this idea. When is the last time in any setting that 100% of the people liked the solution? The proverbial thing that I don't think ever happened here, I know it hasn't happened since I've been here, but the proverbial thing that happens in some churches is they get ready to build a building and they try to vote on the color of the carpet and there's a, 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 fraction, a, a schism that happens because of the vote of the carpet and one set of people want the neutral color and the other wants the bright color and the church splits, right? Because of something that wasn't all that big of a deal. We as people at times can be divided. And here we see that when the church faithfully steps up and does the right thing, unity can be reestablished. So we see unity is reestablished. We don't specifically see here, and all the needs were met, but it's rather inferred, right? If you look at verse 7, which is the summary statement, we see the church is growing, then it's understood that this solution worked, that the Hellenist widows were being cared for again. We see that the apostles could devote themselves to their responsibilities. We see in verse 4, they say, because we're going this route, because of this solution, we as the apostles will begin to be able to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, I want to be really careful here. The elders of our church are not apostles. The role of the apostles and the role of our elders are not the same thing. However, the functionality of the role of the apostles saying they are focusing on prayer and preaching is a similar functionality of our elders, that the role of the elders is to be teaching and leading and praying for our congregation. And so one of the big reasons we have deacons in our church is so that the elders can do the things God has tasked us with while the deacons are able to step up and meet some of the tangible physical needs and also help maintain the unity of the body, just like we see in this text here. And so the result is that whenever the church functions as God intends for it to function, the needs are met, the, the different people can serve in the capacities that God has for them, and unity happens. And then I love verse 7. 
Let's look at this summary statement of verse 7. In verse 7, we see the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Whenever God's church stepped up and addressed the problems in a godly fashion, we see that the word of God was proclaimed greatly out and among their city. Whenever the church stepped up and did the right thing, we see that because the word is being proclaimed faithfully, that great numbers of people are coming to faith as well. And the really cool thing is, it says that a great number of the priests came to faith. Do you know who the priests are, right? The priests were those that were leading in the Jewish faith. The priests were those that didn't believe in the Messiah. The priests were the ones that the apostles in some ways were not fighting, but they were, they were teaching against and pointing towards the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. So those who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, all of a sudden, because of the faithfulness of the church, began to respond to the gospel. Can you imagine what it would be like if because of the ministry of our church family, because of the roles of the elders, because of the roles of the deacons, because of the roles of the church members, that if we went out in a faithful kind of way and proclaimed the gospel and did so in unity and love, how Jesus will be lifted up, how God's word would be extended, and lives would be impacted all over our city. If you were here last week, we read how they said to the apostles, the religious leaders, they said, because of you, your teaching has filled the city. What if, because of our faithfulness as a church family and the faithfulness of other Bible-believing churches in our community, what if we all love Jesus and work together in such a way that the gospel will be proclaimed so that no one in our city would be able to say they'd never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The results are astounding. The church was on the brink of disunity and things that could have been really disastrous and instead they stepped up to the plate and part of what they did was use the role of these deacons in order that God's kingdom could be continued in the way that it should go so those of you that are stepping up to be deacons you are not simply taking care of menial tasks Rather, as deacons, you are charged to meet the needs of people in our congregation as well as to ensure us to be a unified body of Christ. Time and time again, whenever I've read about the roles of deacons, a phrase that pops up continuously is the idea of, of a shock absorber. And it's the idea that whenever problems come or whenever disunity might try to pop in, that, that the deacons kind of absorb that shock and then help us as a church body move back to faithfully follow Christ. So we see incredible things take place. So the question now is what do we learn through this story? That's the last three points. And I promise you that, that we're going to just kind of go through these fairly quickly, but we're going to see the, the, the application points that are there on your sermon notes. The first one is this. The thing we can learn from this or be reminded of in this is that Satan attacks the church in subtle but destructive ways. It's very likely that these Hellenist widows were not being neglected intentionally. I, we don't know for a fact, but I don't think that it was necessarily all the, the Hebrew Christians got together and they said, hey, those Hellenist widows, let's ignore them. How about we do that? Like, I don't think that's what took place. However, the Hellenist widows were being neglected and overlooked, and it bothered them and concerned them. 
even though it probably wasn't happening on purpose. Here's what I think might have happened. As the church grew, it was natural that those who already knew one another and maybe had common family histories kind of spent time together and knew one another well. However, whenever people that had grown up in other parts of the world came in and were a part of the church family, there wasn't already a natural tie to them, and so they unintentionally were overlooked. In other words, it's natural for us to gravitate to the people we already know. The Hebrew uh, widows were the locals, the people they knew. But the Hellenist widows were those that were the outsiders and they didn't know so well. If we aren't careful as a church family, we can be here on a Sunday morning, we can be hanging out with the people we already know and having conversations, a guest can come in the door, we can even take a moment to say howdy and shake a hand and introduce ourselves and say, would you like a coffee? And then we go back to our people and we don't really include them in our church. Does that make sense? Like if you're a guest this morning, I hope you were greeted well. And I hope that if you continue to come here, you'll continue to be included in our church family. And I do want to say this about our church family. I think we do a pretty good job of including people in our church family. I'm just saying it's human tendencies for us to kind of flock together with those we already know and unintentionally not include the others. I think it was that kind of thing that took place. And if we're not careful, Satan can subtly use that to bring division. Also, we see that in the account in Acts chapter 6, that the widows understandably were upset, which led them to murmur, which led them to grumble, which led them to complain against the people. And it appears that these widows didn't go directly to those that they were being offended by. Rather, there was grumbling internally. So the subtle distraction that Satan brings is that when things don't go the way we think they should, instead of us going to the source and saying, help me understand why was this decision made, or help me understand why I wasn't taken care of, instead we get other people together and we grumble together. Now I want you to hear me very carefully when I say this. Very carefully. Over the last couple of years, there have been situations where as elders we have seen that it appears that people have gone to others and murmured and complained. And it wasn't so much that the complaint was wrongly placed as far as the offense. Rather, it was that people who couldn't control the situation or couldn't change or rectify anything weren't the ones that were being discussed with. And I know I might have confused myself and confused you. Here's the deal. If we get offended by something, if someone offends us, if something is said or done wrong, we need to go straight to that person. Because what happens is we might have heard it right, And we might be right in our opinion, but if I don't go straight to that person and instead I pull pull, uh, Bill McGee up here, which Bill would never do this. Hey, Bill, this person in our church really bothered me, man. It really got on my nerves, Bill. I don't understand. I'm so mad at them. Like, Bill Bill would not participate in that, but I'm just using, what if I did that? Well, maybe the offense was, was, was really committed against me, but instead of talking to Bill about it, why don't I go to this person? And, and, and if your name is Bill McGee, you're going to do what, I'm sorry, Bill, I'm not picking on you on purpose, but if your name is Bill McGee, I anticipate 
knowing his integrity, he would say, have you talked to them yet? And unfortunately, over the last couple of years, it appears that at times, folks have gone to someone else, and those who heard it didn't point back to the original person. And can I, can I, can I be transparent for a minute? Unintentionally, at times, and even our staff setting, if something doesn't go exactly like it should, and someone comes to me and says, hey, Alan, when so-and-so on staff did such-and-such, unfortunately, I don't always say, hey, did you go talk to so-and-so first? Okay, so I wasn't participating in gossip, and yet I don't always, our, our first instinct, guys, should be this, go talk to the person. And if you don't want to go talk to the person, I understand, I'll go with you. All right? So we've got to do the right thing. All right. I didn't make good notes, and I hopefully didn't confuse you. If I did, stop me afterwards. Go straight to the source. Come to me and ask me, Alan, what did you mean? In Acts chapter 6. Now, if you read 1 Corinthians, you'll see a different story. But in Acts chapter 6, there is not some gross horrible, despicable sin that Satan is using to divide the church. Satan is using a subtle thing that has taken place where the Hellenist widows are not being cared for adequately and he is trying his hardest to disrupt the unity of the church. He tried to divide within. He sought to divide them. And if the church had not addressed it quickly and properly, it would have been disastrous. So the first thing we see is that Satan attacks the church in subtle but destructive ways. The second thing we see is that how and when the church responds is critical. Now I know we don't have a timeline in Acts chapter 6. It doesn't say they were being neglected for one week and then the apostles found out about it and 15 minutes later they called a meeting. Like I don't know what the time frame is. But I have the impression from Acts chapter 6 that when the apostles caught wind of the problem, they immediately began to try to resolve the problem and try to respond to it. They involved the people in the solution. They called them together. My encouragement to you is that you would be praying for your elders so that whenever we hear or see about something in the life of the church that we respond immediately and that we don't do it in a vacuum, but that we include you as a church family to help us find the solution. These apostles, they delegated the responsibility so that more people were a part of the solution. They helped them select these Hellenists that were a part of the solution. Their response pleased everyone. They maintained unity. They met needs. So here's the deal. Whenever problems or issues pop up in our church family, how and when should we respond? Here are some thoughts. You may want to jot them down. If or when someone grumbles to you, don't entertain it. Send them to those who can help. The one who offended them, the one who bothered them, the leadership that made the decision. If you agree with their concern, then you need to be a part of going to them as well, okay? That's a big way that the church can and should respond. Be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. What I mean by that is if you see a problem in the church, perhaps seeing the problem and you bring it to our attention is God saying that your responsibility is to help be an ongoing 
solution to the problem. So in other words, if you see, hey, guys, it feels like the community isn't here what it should be, then maybe God's calling you to be an instrumental part in helping us bring community back into our church body as it should be. Be willing to serve those in your church family. Guys, whenever we say that the deacon's responsibility is to serve the church body and meet the needs of the church body, it doesn't mean that they do it on their own. Rather, deacons, it's your responsibility to be the lead servants who call others to join you on, in serving the church family. I don't think these seven men were the only men that distributed the food to the, to the widows. Rather, I think they were given the organizational, administrative responsibility. They were a part of it, and they included a serving team probably with them as well. Guys, if you're a church member of Living Hope and you are physically able to do so, God wants you to serve in a specific area within the life of this church. And if you're not serving yet, let us help you find a place to serve because we all are called to serve in the family of God. So that's part of the solution. How and when the church responds is critical. And one of those is all of us serving in our areas of responsibility. I wanted to share with you briefly what we're tasking our deacons to do. The deacons that are already on board, the deacons that are coming on board, we have asked them to help us keep our church family connected to one another. We're asking them to partner with us as elders to make this happen. And so while the deacons do a lot of things, we specifically ask them to oversee three particular areas. And I wanted to share with you what those three areas are. We've asked them to oversee our, our, our hope groups. We've asked them to help people get connected, and we've asked them to help the elderly and homebound feel connected. Let me walk through each of those. Our hope groups are small groups that meet during the course of the week. During the summer, there'll be kind of a break from maybe the weekly gathering. Some will meet every other week. Some will meet once a month. But the idea is that during the school year, at least, that our groups will meet during the course of the week each week so that we can be in a smaller setting doing life together meeting each other's needs and so when needs arise when problems arise there's a smaller setting where a leader can help lead that group in an effective kind of way and ideally all of our church members are connected to a, to a hope group so one of the roles of our deacons is to help the the hope group leaders to lead effectively so that everyone that's in a hope group can be loved and cared for at the same time, we have a second focus of our deacons, and that is an understanding that not everyone is in a hope group. Not everyone is yet a member. Not everyone that just became a member has plugged in completely. And so we've asked our deacons to help people get connected, those who are not yet members, those that are new members, and those that are disconnected. In so many ways, for various reasons, the last two years, in our church as well as other churches, people have become disconnected in some ways. And so we want our deacons to help people lovingly get reconnected to the body. And then also, over the last two years, some of our church body has just gotten older. Some of our church body has dealt with health issues and things like that. And so a third area that we were asking our deacons to oversee is the elderly and the homebound. Making sure that this group does not feel isolated. So if you could kind of nail down specifically what we're doing with those three areas is we're asking our deacons to meet the needs of our people, help them all feel connected and important and not isolated, 
and therefore help us to maintain a spirit of unity in our church body. So deacons, those of you that are coming on board, jump in, be a part of the solution, help us to love our people. Church members, one other thing that you can do to help us respond That is, find and participate in community. All of us need to be in community. I I get it. Like, I'm an extrovert. If things are bothering me, I'm a little more reserved. You look at me, if I'm not talking much, and you're like, Alan, there's something wrong with you? No, I'm just contemplative. Uh, I know uh, Scott asked me this morning about wherever he is. He asked me if I was deep in thought. Well, honestly, I was. I was thinking about something, and so my demeanor was a little bit different. An extrovert, we're like kind of all up in your business, right? Others, if you're an introvert, you're like, I don't really know if I want to be in community. I guarantee you, regardless of our personality type, we need each other. God made us to be relational people. Here's some ways that you can find and participate in community. Did you hear a moment ago, Ricky mentioned family meal? We have three or four family meals. I can't remember how many we have over the course of these next few months. And one of them is happening on June the, let me say the right thing so that I don't misrepresent. It's on this little sheet. June 19th. June 19th, that Sunday night, we would love all of you to participate in a family meal. You basically will just go onto our website, you'll go to the Hope, you'll sign up. The sign-up's not available yet, but hopefully it will be this week. You'll indicate, yes, my family and I are coming. You'll indicate, yes, my family would be willing to host the event. And then we're going to bring like three, four, five family units together, and you're going to have a chance to eat a meal in someone's home that maybe you don't know already very, don't know very well already, so that we can extend community to our church family. If you're going, man, I'm out of town June 19th, the good news is we've got some more coming, I think one in August, so just know that family meal is one way that you can get connected. Hope groups, I mentioned those already. Classes that happen on Sunday mornings that will happen again in the fall. A way to serve each other, be a part of a D group. There's all kinds of ways to find and participate in community. And church members or church attenders, if you need anything at all, if you need the elders, send us an email, elders at lhbc.net. Call the church office. Get connected to us as a, as a church body, I mean, as, as elders and as, as staff. So how and when the church responds is critical. The last Um, application point is this the Lord will continue to build his church as we respond faithfully now in this scenario in Acts chapter 6 we see that the church continued to increase as the word of God was shared we see that a great number of priests came to faith that's all in verse uh, sorry verse 7 7 verse 7 and so we see that the difficulty that the church faced actually became a catalyst for growth. And the reason it was is because the church responded faithfully. Now I want to be really careful here. As I've said time and time again in the book of Acts, in this scenario, Acts chapter 6, especially verse 7, is not a prescription. It doesn't mean we're getting four new deacons and therefore the word of God will increase exponentially. More people will come to faith and pagan priests will become Christians. Rather, what we see here is a description of what took place and that is that God continued to build his church and if we will faithfully respond, it may not mirror exactly this, but it will happen. God will continue to build his church. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So if the application point here says, the, church, the Lord will continue to build his church as we 
uh, respond faithfully. What does it look like to respond faithfully? Here are some things. Preach the word. Pray for God's leadership for our family. Address disunity swiftly, directly, and lovingly. Meet the needs of those around us. Help other people get connected. These are the kinds of things that if we'll do them as a church body, then we'll faithfully respond to God's leadership and he will continue to build his church. So what do we do with this message this morning? Church members, let me share with you, it's our desire as elders for you to press in and faithfully connect to your church family and be a part of your church family as we work together to be a disciple, make disciples, be the church to the glory of God. If you're not a church member, consider becoming one. Originally, we had a new member class that was happening today. It's been canceled. We didn't have any folks pre-registered, so we're not meeting today. But if you want to become a member of our church, we're having one in the month of July. Be looking for that detail. We'd love for you to jump in and be a part of our church family. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, would you come to faith in Jesus? See, we've talked a lot this morning about what it means to be a member of the church. A member of the church is not simply one who attends a religious service. A member of a church is not simply to, to have your name on a roll or on a roster. Rather, to be a member of the church means that you have come to a point in your life where you've trusted in Jesus alone for your salvation. See, Scripture is clear all throughout it that God made us in His image to glorify Him. But whenever sin enters the equation and we sin against God, then we are eternally forever separated from a holy, perfect God because our sin keeps us from God. But the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ is that God sent his son, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ the Messiah, that Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus pointed to who the Father is. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins because the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death and Jesus willingly became our sacrifice and died on the cross for our sins. But the good news is that three days later he was raised again. He didn't stay in the tomb. Scripture says that if we would place our faith and our trust in Jesus, if we confess our sins, repent of our sins, and trust in him, then we can receive the salvation and forgiveness of our sins. So this morning, this morning, would you say yes to Jesus? Would you say yes to Jesus for the very first time? If so, I'll be down here, down front, I would love to visit with you. Would you say yes to Jesus by saying, yes, I'm ready to become a member of this church family? Would you say yes to Jesus by saying, yes, I'm going to lean in and be a faithful member of our church? Would you say yes to Jesus as you commit all of your life, your finances, your commitment, your serving, your attitude, your mindset, your conversation, that you would commit that to Jesus? Would you say yes, that you're going to lean in and seek to be a part of a church family that wants to bring glory to God as we seek to understand what it means to be a disciple, make disciples, and be the church? I'm going to lead us in prayer. At the end of the prayer, we'll actually receive a, an offering. and That's not the only thing we'll be doing. We'll be singing. We'll be having an opportunity for you to respond. These, uh, this song will be a time of response. 
You could respond by placing an offering in the, the plate. You could respond by dropping your connection card there. You could respond by, by uh, coming to pray with me. You could respond by coming to pray here at the altar. But would you take just a few moments to say yes to Jesus this morning as he leads you? Let's pray.